Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, great to be with you today, Crossroads. Uh, We are starting a new series today. Uh, Maybe you're newer, you don't know a little bit of a tradition. This is our 10th summer where we sort of change gears a little bit. Uh, We go in a little bit of a different direction and we dig into a passage of scripture. Sometimes it's a section, sometimes it's an entire book. And that's exactly what we begin today. Uh, This summer, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, on your e-news, I think it might be there on your bulletin, it's sort of the reading plan for where we're going this summer. So if you want to read beforehand, read afterwards, uh, it's just a way for you to be a little bit better acquainted with what we're doing. I want to give us some context, a little bit more background about the book than what we would normally do. uh, And then we'll just sort of paint a picture for where we are going in the coming weeks. Now, it is Father's Day, and it only feels appropriate to try to do a good, lame dad joke. And um, so if you need to groan, if you need to sigh, uh, if you need to roll your eyes, it's all appropriate. It's okay. So to kick us off, the question simply is this. How does Moses start his mornings? He brews a pot of coffee. Hebrews, we're studying Hebrews, everyone. I thought there was enough context there. He brews a pot of coffee. It's pretty sad. I I get it. I get it. So now, let me ask you a multiple choice question and give you an idea of where Hebrews, what it's all about. Hebrews, it's a cool name for a coffee shop. Perhaps sexist, but still a cool name. Uh, Hebrews, it's a book of the Bible. It's the original language of the Old Testament. Hebrews is what Doug does most mornings, grinds, and brews, right? Or E, all of the above, and you would say E. It's not a trick question. Yes, all of those are correct. We just happen to be focusing on B, Hebrews as a book of the Bible. Now, this is where I want to start off. I need your help, but you're not alone. I'm going to ask you some questions about the book of Hebrews. Uh, You do not have to think of the answer. You don't have to make up the answer. What I'm asking all of you to do is to read the answer. Our teaching screen is here to help. Uh, It will not lie. Uh, It is a great um, theologian uh, and book scholar of the Bible, so it's going to help you out. So we're going to go through a couple of questions, and you're going to tell me the correct answer And I will probably just preface you by saying you would answer. That's when you know it's your time. So here's the question. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? You know, we know so many books of the Bible. You know, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. We know what Luke wrote. There's all these things. But really the question is, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And your answer would be what? How would you answer that question? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, people will speculate People will guess. I mean, people will just even debate this. But the only honest answer is we don't know. Some people will say, well, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. It was probably Paul. But no, man, the writing structure, everything is so dramatically different. Other people will say the reason we don't know, it must have been a woman. And, you know, women back then didn't have quite the same level they were at today. So maybe it was a woman. We're like, well, maybe, possibly. Uh, but there's a time where the author refers to themselves and they, they use a male pronoun. But the aerial answer is we just don't know. So here is my next question for you. If we don't know who wrote Hebrews, 
Like, to whom was it written? Like, to what geographical area? We know that the book of Romans was written to those Christians, Jesus followers in Rome. Yeah, you get it. Uh, the book, uh, the letter of Ephesians was written to Christians living in Ephesus. So my question to you, to whom is Hebrews written? And you would answer, I said it won't lie, everybody. This is not a trick question, right? You don't know, right? We simply don't know. That is the honest answer. We, once again, it's like a mystery uh, and uh, speculation, just waste time. I mean, there's like this like very vague, ambiguous reference to Italy, but that doesn't mean anything really at all. And if you just sort of would put up a map of, you know, the New Testament world, you, you could say with a lot of certainty it was written by someone living in this area to people living in this area, right? And that's the kind of vagueness that we have. We just don't know. So if we don't know who wrote it, and if we don't know uh, where the people were living that it was written to, then you will probably ask the next question, well, what about when? Could we at least know when? Could we put a date on the book of Hebrews? And because you're all Bible scholars, you would answer with this question. We don't know, right? Uh, but most likely somewhere between 60 and 100 A.D., uh, there is another historical document, uh, uh, the book of Clement. He appears to quote Hebrews in that, and that was right around the first century. Uh, and then there's this rich like Christology throughout the book of Hebrews, which most scholars would say, you know, that couldn't be like the early church. That's probably not first generation Jesus followers. It's probably second or even third generation Jesus followers to have pulled all this together. There's some other clues, some other hints along the way. So that would be a really good educated estimate to say somewhere between 60 and 100 AD. So now here's a, a, another question for you. Uh, is this just another letter? Like so many books in the New Testament, is it just another letter? You know, the letter to the Galatians, a letter to those in Corinth. Is it just another letter like those books? And you would answer, no, yeah, no. It reads a whole lot more like a manuscript or a sermon. As a matter of fact, if you look at the temple and the teaching and the preaching in that time, man, its structure is very much like what was going on in the local synagogues. And it doesn't read at all like a letter. It is much more of a sermon, maybe an extended homily uh, that was taken and taken from church to church to church and read there. And it is often why I will refer to the author as the preacher, uh, not the writer, but the preacher. E even later on in the book of Hebrews, uh, the uh, preacher says, you know, this is my exhortation to you. Take careful note. Pay attention to what I have exhorted you to do. And, and by now you're getting the idea that there's a lot about Hebrews that we don't know. And, and you know, to waste time just speculating, that doesn't get us anywhere. That, that's not a part of the discipleship process. But there is so much that we can learn from this letter. But they just put it in context to give you an idea of what we don't know about Hebrews. Let's say I handed you a book and said, hey, I, I, I think you enjoy reading this. It was written in France or Russia or 
Germany by someone living in France or Russia or Germany. Uh, it was written somewhere, you know, between uh, 1920 and 1960. Uh, maybe it was, you know, written even before World War II or World War I. Maybe it was when after the wars when people were free. We just don't know. And see, you understand that having no context, what a difference it can make. Uh, did somebody write that book I handed you during the war? Uh, were they occupied? Were they uh, a Nazi? Uh, you would have no idea because you just don't have that level of context. And context is important. So I just want to be upfront with you as we journey through this. There's a whole lot of things that we don't know, but there's also a whole lot of stuff that we can figure out. So let's just jump right into the text before I give you any more background or context. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, the preacher starts out preaching long ago. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. And right away we find out, you know what? God speaks. God speaks. God has always been present and active in his creation. And there was a time back then, this is how God did things. And God was speaking, but it's a whole new day. Things are now different. Now God is speaking through his son, Jesus. Things have changed. That is our past. This is our present. That is what the preacher is saying. Now, here's the last contextual question I'm going to give you today. The last time I'm going to ask you to answer based on what the teaching screen has to say. Because even here, in this very first verse, we get a clue, right? And it's this little word, are. That's our clue. And so the question is this. If we don't know geographically where the people were living that this letter was written to, is there something about them that we can gather? Is there something, you know, that most New Testament scholars would agree on? Is there some way that we can somewhat identify the people to whom this book, this sermon was intended? And you would answer. We don't know. All right, you're supposed to read. It was the last time, everybody. I was trying something new. We don't know the specific geographic area, but it looks like they all belong to the same club. That's it. It looks like they all belong to the same club. And what club is that? It's the Jewish club. This was written most likely to Jewish Jesus followers. That's the club that they were a part of. Uh, it was written to people, man, that they knew the Old Testament. It, I mean, they grew up under the Old Covenant. They went to the synagogue on a regular basis. It is their background. It is who they are. If you know the culture of the time, by the time you were 10 years old, you had memorized the first five books of the Bible now, that, you understand that's different, right? Let's just see if, if that's really different or not. How many of you, let's just pick one book. Let's just pick one book. How many of you have memorized Leviticus? Just raise your hand. Just own it. You're like, yeah, I felt compelled. I needed to memorize Leviticus. 
Okay, no one in person, maybe somebody online, right? But no one, right? You just don't have that level. You don't understand all the things that went with the old covenant. You don't have that familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, You don't have the complete and full understanding uh, of the elaborate and complex structure of the old covenant sacrificial system that the people reading this would have had. If you're a guy and you are sitting here and you are circumcised, it most likely is not because you are Jewish, right? You, there, you don't struggle, or at least you shouldn't struggle. You don't struggle with trying to escape or let the old covenant behind to fully live in the new covenant of Jesus. But man, the people that were reading this, they got all of that. They lived that. They, that was some of the tension that they were dealing with. And, and I say all that just so you understand that there are going to be times where you're reading through Hebrews and you are simply going to be like, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And you shouldn't get it because you're not part of the club. You, you don't have that knowledge. You don't have that history that the people that were originally reading or hearing this sermon had. You're just not going to get it, but we're going to help to move through and explain and learn so much as we go through this. Because this is what we know. You and I, we're, we're not part of that R club, right? We're, we're much more, we'd be considered the Gentiles, the outsiders. We're not part of that R club. It wasn't our ancestors. It wasn't our prophets. That's just not who we are. But for the audience that was originally hearing this sermon, that is exactly who they are. So let me give you a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of warning as we start to make our way through the book of Hebrews. A New Testament scholar, commentator, T.G. Long, he says it like this, Among the books of the New Testament, the epistle of the Hebrews stands out as both strange and fascinating. Unique in style and content as a piece of literature, it is simply unlike any of the other epistles. Though some of its phrases are among the best known and most often quoted passages in the New Testament, many contemporary Christians, that's you and I, are largely unacquainted with the book as a whole finding themselves lost in its serpentine passageways and elaborate theological arguments. I often think about Hebrews a little bit like the book of Romans. Uh, You might have some favorite verses in Romans, uh, ones that you love to just be able to have in your brain or to quote. You might have some things from Romans that you love to debate uh, with other people or to talk about or speculate But at the end of the day, most people haven't read the whole way through or have a full understanding of the book of Romans. And it's the same way with Hebrews, man. There's like the hall of faith that we love. And there's some other passages that we absolutely love. And there's some things that people love to debate. But so many people, they're just simply unacquainted because they've never made the whole way through the book. And that's where we are at. So in our journey together, not only are we going to try to get acquainted with the text. We're going to try to not get lost along the way. Uh, we're not going to major on the minors. Uh, we're not going to speculate, you know, all day long about what this might mean or who that individual 
is. But what we're going to do is we're going to glean and we're going to learn so much from the rich, Jesus-centered focus of this sermon, of this book. Let's start learning right here in verse 2. God promised. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Do you see just in those few sentences how much of our theology is formed that we believe as a New Testament church that Jesus was there from the very beginning in the creation of the universe, that Jesus cleansed us from our sins, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God in heaven, and then this, which is so central to what we believe. Jesus, 100% fully human, 100% fully God. Jesus, 200%, right? Jesus is a perfect representation of our heavenly father the perfect representation of god it's not like jesus is just a little bit of god it isn't like what well, jesus is the nicer more friendly user-friendly new testament version of god of the old testament it isn't like jesus just introduces us slightly to the character and to the nature of god it is jesus is jesus fully fully gives us the character of god when you encounter Jesus' love, you encounter God's love. And when you encounter Jesus' sacrifice, you encounter God's sacrifice. And when you encounter Jesus' forgiveness and grace and mercy, it's the heart of the Heavenly Father, it is His character, it is who He is. So everything that we learn about Jesus, we are learning about our heavenly father and, and what he is like and what he desires for our lives jesus is jesus is and throughout this book we're going to learn more and more about who jesus is and this is what we know that the preacher the author his audience they desperately needed a reminder of who Jesus is. That club, those Jewish Jesus followers, they needed reminder of all that Jesus is. In the same way, you and I can benefit as well. Because, man, the preacher, the author, he is addressing an incredibly real problem in his congregation man his listeners they are exhausted they are like worn out they're tired of serving the world they're tired of the spiritual struggle they've encountered they're losing confidence the threat is real that they are worn out and they are spent many are drifting away Many are just so tired of walking the walk that they're considering taking a walk, leaving the community and walking away from Jesus' faith altogether. 
Do you ever need a reminder of who Jesus is? Come on, in a world that sometimes seems upside down, do you need a reminder of who Jesus is? When I need a reminder of who Jesus is, I, I, I think about Bo. Bo, B-O, Bo. Bo was a good friend in seminary. Bo was a big guy, sort of like a modern-day Samson, like without the long hair. Muscular, strong, larger-than-life character. And I loved hanging out with Bo, and we would follow his dad when he would go um, to preach in Harlem or the Bronx or Manhattan. And we followed his dad over when we did some time in Russia doing missionary service. And Bo had this tattoo, because Bo was fully committed. Bo was going to be serving in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And if you ever saw um, their slogan, their tattoo, not their tattoo, right? Their, their symbol, their symbol, it, it looks just like this. And colorful on his huge bicep was this tattoo. And if you know what the symbol represents, it's the thing that's like a mantra that's put into you when you're serving in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Jesus Christ is Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And I think about Bowen, man. I need to remember that Jesus is King. Jesus is ruler of it all. When the world seems upside down or life seems out of control, Jesus is King. When I'm tempted to serve uh, myself or serve for the opinion of other people, when I get consumed with maybe wanting to be liked, I need to remind myself that Jesus is king. And I'm tempted to go a different way to get tired and worn out and just stop walking the walk. When I'm ready to just give up. I need to be reminded that Jesus is king. Do you ever need that? There's some things going on in your life or in the world around your life, some things going on in your family or your workplace or your school or your community, and you just need to be reminded that Jesus is king. And the preacher... Man, he spends his entire time reminding his congregation that Jesus is. All of who Jesus is. Again and again. He doesn't resort to like entertainment tactics. He doesn't try to just, you know, make people feel good and happy. He paints this picture, this rich, complex, even complicated at times, theology of Jesus and who Jesus is. The remainder of chapter 1. The preacher goes on to say that Jesus is greater than the angels. And that's what the rest of chapter 1 is all about. Look at verse 4. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I've become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. For the rest of chapter one, on and on of why Jesus is greater than the angels. And he quotes Old Testament scripture, some of that you might be familiar with from the Psalms and other things about why Jesus is greater than the angels. And see, the, the issue is this. If you just read chapter one, you think, well, 
obviously, this is the issue. This is what like the people are facing. They're starting to worship angels. That must be what's happening. It must be like an angel deity going on, you know, for the audience here. But that's not the issue. It isn't that the congregation was thinking too highly of angels. It's that they were thinking too lowly of Jesus. Back when um, bookstores were more of a thing, right? Or Christian bookstores were really more of a thing. You could walk into a Christian bookstore and you can sort of see like what the hot topic was. And it would change every few years, you know. There all of a sudden it was all about like spiritual warfare. There were all these books written about heaven. But in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, you'd walk into like a Christian bookstore and there like would be like on display like 20 books all about angels, right? And it wasn't bad that so many people were reading about angels, problem was they were thinking less and less about Jesus. That, that could be the issue, right? And see, people here are thinking highly of angels, but they're thinking way too little or way too lowly of Jesus. And greater than, man, it, greater than is the theme of this entire book, of this entire sermon. Jesus is greater than the prophet. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua. And the pastor goes on to say that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priesthood. And he says Jesus is greater than the Old Testament covenant. And Jesus is greater. It's one of the driving themes throughout the entire book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater than. Greater than everything. And he's urging his congregation to don't lose what you got by turning away from Jesus. He's basically saying, keep the main thing the main thing, because Jesus is the main thing, and he is worthy of being kept in your central focus. Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than everything. And everything depends on what you and I do with Jesus. That, that's where this whole book's going. Jesus is greater than everything, and everything depends on what you and I do with Jesus. And there's the implication, right? There's the application. If Jesus is greater than everything, then it means that Jesus is greater than your. If Jesus is greater than everything, it means that Jesus is greater than your. Fill in the blank. Your health crisis, your relationship crisis, your job, your whatever, that thing that keeps you up at night, that thing that can cause anxiety, that thing that makes fear creep in, the thing that rents way too much space in your brain, that thing that just seems to be holding you back from fully following and loving Jesus, that thing that seems to be harming the world or the relationships around you, Jesus is greater than it all. It's Father's Day. Dad, some of you are at that stage, and then some of you can remember this stage. You're at that stage, and your kids are young. Who's greater than their dad? No one. Do you remember that stage? The uh, dads are a little bit older, moms are a little bit older, 
where your kids just thought you were perfect. Nothing was greater than you. You couldn't do any wrong. And then time messes that all up. And they see our flaws and they want to go to counseling for their dysfunctional household and all that kind of stuff. But come on, moms and dads, if you could just teach this to your kids over and over, no matter how little, no matter how old, if you could just pour into them, Jesus is greater than your everything. The trials that you're going to face, the hardship that's going to come your way, the hurt, the unknowns, the pain, the loss. Jesus is greater than it all. If you could just pass that on so it was just so firmly implanted in their mind that they would never forget, no matter how far they ever wondered, that they could never forget that Jesus is greater than everything. Can you get a glimpse of the impact that that can have on their lives. And when you and I own this, and maybe we even get the tattoo, that Jesus is greater than everything, that Jesus is greater than your fill in the blank, what a dramatic impact that can have in your life and my life as we faithfully walk and serve and follow him. No matter how hard the journey ever gets or no matter how joyous the world is around us, we recognize that not only is Jesus greater than everything, that he is our everything. On your connection card online or in person, as we just begin this series, Greater Than, is there an area that you need just somewhat of a reminder that Jesus is greater than and you just fill it in? doesn't have to be your stuff. It might be the world around you that Jesus is greater than. Something that you just want to be reminded of over the coming weeks as we hit it again and again, that Jesus is greater than. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder that Jesus is greater than. As we change gears this summer and as we just dive into the sermon to the book of Hebrews, would you just, Holy Spirit, give us insight? Help us to have a better level of understanding, and to not major on the minors, on the things that we just simply don't get, don't understand. We just own it. We don't get it. We're not part of that original club. But man, that rich, Jesus-centered Christology, man, there's so much we can learn. So much of our theology of the New Testament church is formed out of what is stated again and again in this book in so many different ways. May we learn your heart. May we learn your character. May we learn who you really are and the way that you view us and the way that you view the world around us. And may we constantly be reminded of that. Jesus is greater than everything, which means that he is greater than my, and you fill in the blank. Bring that reminder again and again to the forefront of our minds whenever we need it, that Jesus is greater than everything. Therefore, Jesus is greater than my, whatever it is. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.com. 
crbic.org. That's crbic.org. 